Welcome back to the Genesis of Conception. I am your hostess, Bex David, and this is the space between the picket lines. Here, we talk about all things pro-life, but we come at it from the basis of real science and logic and provable data. Now, in our last episode, we discussed the Hippocratic Oath and its impact on the pro-life movement. And this week, we're going to analyze the various types of abnormal pregnancies and why they do not qualify as valid excuses to execute a child in the womb. Now, an accusation that I often receive from those who disagree with me on this topic is that since I've never personally been in that position, I have no right to judge or tell another woman how she should react to a hard or difficult pregnancy. There is also an oft-cited assumption that no one in my inner circle has ever experienced a rough pregnancy, and so I have no idea how they would react or how I would react to them. So again, I theoretically have no right to speak on the matter. So first, that's an incorrect assumption. I know many women who were given variations on the theme of bad or dire pregnancy news. And I prayed over all of them, and I walked that path with them as much as they would allow me to. I have also watched the ones who chose life versus the ones who chose death for their kids, and I've seen the very real impact of both choices. Second, I do not have to go through a horrible thing to know where I stand on the horrible thing. And speaking of horrible things... Women who are pregnant are constantly inundated in our society with the concept that when the going gets rough, the obvious solution is to just put themselves before their child and just try again once they're better or healed or whatever else. Couple that notion with the recent overturning of Roe vs. Wade and you get a whole mess of women who are terrified of two things simultaneously. First, they're terrified of what complicated pregnancies will do to their health and their bodies, etc., etc. And they're also terrified of what happens to them if they choose the quote-unquote easier or maybe simpler route of abortion in those situations. That's a very real set of fears, and I understand that. So my solution... I went and I did a bunch of research so that you do not have to. And since I'm very, very, very tired of hearing this narrative about complicated pregnancies and why they're a good excuse to kill your kid, here's what we're going to do. We're going to deconstruct this entire thing from the bottom up. We're going to match the names of the things with what they actually do inside the female body. Then we're going to take a look at the impact that they have on both the mother and the child when they do occur. And finally, we're going to discuss why it is a lie from the pits of hell that the proper response to pregnancy difficulty is to kill the kid. Additionally, you're going to hear me use the word unsustainable a few separate times here. So allow me to emphasize that when I say unsustainable, I do not mean low chance of survival. Because a low chance of survival still offers the possibility of the child being safely born and living life. What I mean when I say unsustainable is that the child cannot physically grow past either the zygote or the embryonic stage of life dependent on what the situation is. Now, if you need clarification on that terminology, please refer to my episode called Stages of Fetal Development. Now, this differentiation is important because often when abortion advocates say unsustainable, what they mean is that it's going to be difficult, so you might as well just not go through it. 
When I say unsustainable, I mean it is literally a physical impossibility. With that distinction made, on to the matchup. To begin, here is our list of abnormal pregnancy types. There are five major ones of note that we're going to go through. First is a tubal or ectopic pregnancy. Those are just different words for the same thing. Second is a preeclampsic pregnancy. Third is something called a hyperemetic pregnancy. Fourth is a gestational diabetic pregnancy. And fifth is a molar pregnancy. So to begin with, the tubal or ectopic pregnancy. Here's what that means. That's when the fertilized egg implants somewhere else in the woman besides her uterus. This could happen in the fallopian tubes or the cervix or the ovaries or the abdomen. Now, the overwhelming majority of cases with this type of pregnancy, the child settles in the fallopian tubes, but it can happen in those other places as well. Now, on rare occasions, the baby will appear to implant outside of the uterus, but will actually reach the correct final destination and be just fine. A fantastic example of this is back in 2015 when LifeNews.com highlighted just such a story. It was centered around a woman named Natalia White Fox, and she ended up giving birth to healthy twin baby girls. And may I point out that she actually fought the doctors because the doctors were saying, hey, you know, just, just get an early stage abortion. And she's like, no, I'm going to give my kids a chance. And she did. And now they're living and healthy and it's fantastic. And again, if you want to double check on that story, 2015 lifenews.com story. Her name is Natalia White Fox. So that is the rare occasion where things end well, which is awesome. However, unfortunately, in most circumstances where you have a tubal slash ectopic pregnancy, which by the way, it affects roughly one to 2% of women. That's one to two, less than 3%. And we know that thanks to verywellfamily.com. In those sets of circumstances, other than whenever the miracle happens, the pregnancy will be unsustainable. Now, the reason is that while the uterus is designed specifically to nurture the preborn child, other parts of the female body are not. Now, thanks to both VeryWellFamily.com and CapitalWomensCare.net, we know that symptoms for this type of pregnancy, so like big red flag type thing, um, they include the following. Abnormal vaginal bleeding, abdominal or pelvic pain, cramping on only one side of the pelvis, having a tender cervix, shoulder pain, weakness, dizziness, or fainting. Those are sort of all coupled together because they're like escalations on the same theme. Now, Here's where things get a little weird. The treatment plan actually varies depending on two things. First, how far along the woman is, and second, where the child is located in the body. Now, there are three courses of action to be taken, and they are outlined by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. First, this is when the pregnancy self-terminates, which is medically termed a spontaneous miscarriage. Second, you can use some type of medication, usually within something called the anti-metabolite -met family. Now, those are drugs that interfere with the body's ability to do DNA synthesis. Now, that's just really fancy wording for it makes it so that the baby's cells are unable to continue growing. And third, you can do a surgery. It's called a laparoscopy. Now, here's the funny thing about a laparoscopy. This surgery is not limited to helping women in this situation. And I know that because I have actually had one 
personally due to potentially cancerous cancerous growths on my ovaries. So what they do, the purpose of this particular surgery, they go in with a camera and they find whatever is causing the issues and then they remove the source of the danger in as careful a way as possible. And the reason that laparoscopies have to be done very carefully is because ovaries are very sensitive. And if you mess with them too much, you can actually cause infertility for the rest of the woman's life. So this is a very meticulous surgery to be performed. So the short and the skinny about the ectopic pregnancy situation is that unless the child moves to the uterus very, very early in his or her growth stages, then the pregnancy is non-viable. And it has the very real potential to kill the mom if left untreated. All around, it is an incredibly tricky situation to deal with, and we'll discuss the moral ramifications of that after we touch on the other types of pregnancies, because I'm not going to pretend it's easy or it's simple. I'm just going to say, here's the facts. All right, pregnancy type number two. It's called a preeclampsic pregnancy. Now, preeclampsia, that's just the fancy medical term that means that a woman's blood pressure has reached a dangerous level. According to marchofdimes.org, we know that somewhere between 2 and 8% of pregnant women are going to experience it. Now, to understand preeclampsia, you have to be aware that blood pressure remains at a or sorry, blood pressure remaining at a healthy level is imperative to proper bodily function of any human being. So, high blood pressure causes just a whole myriad of health issues. Now, having continuously high blood pressure, the medical term for that is hypertension, and it is especially dangerous when it's not just your life on the line whenever you're growing another human inside of you, such as pregnant women. Now, a preeclampsic pregnancy happens when a woman's blood pressure reaches levels of 140 over 90 or higher, and this has to happen after the 20th week of pregnancy. There's a bunch of medical stuff there, but that's the basic concept. Now, for reference here, the normal blood pressure levels during pregnancy are actually less than 120 over 80, and we know that complements of medical news today. So symptoms for this type of pregnancy are as follows. You got headaches, vision problems, rapid weight gain, and swelling of the hands and face. Now, the reason that preeclampsia is dangerous for the child is because it hinders the ability for the placenta to deliver vital nutrients from mother to baby. We're talking less oxygen and less food, both of which can drastically hinder fetal growth. Now, the good news is that if it is detected in time, the mom can absolutely safely deliver a healthy child. It simply requires the mom to take more nutrients and probably be on bed rest for the duration of the pregnancy once she finds out that she is preeclampsic. And we know that complements of AmericanPregnancy.org. So a preeclampsic pregnancy, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be simple, but it is far from impossible and it definitely does not necessitate an abortion. Then we get to the hyperemetic pregnancy. Now, I had actually not been aware of this one until I was doing research for this episode, but it's really fascinating. The original, the, sorry, not the, the, the official medical term is as follows, hyperemesis gravidarum. Now, in regular person language, that translates to morning sickness turned up to a thousand and not stopping after the first trimester. Now, of note is that it mimics awful morning sickness, but it is far more serious. It's actually in its own category. Now, according to the Hyperemesis Education and Research Foundation, it can cause weight loss and malnutrition and dehydration and debility due to its level of severity. 
Now, according to the National Library of Medicine, this particular type of pregnancy, a hyperemetic pregnancy, only affects about 1% of all pregnancies. And it's typically linked to abnormally high hormone levels, first pregnancies, and the carrying of multiple children. Now, hyperemesis is an issue because when you throw up, nutrients are going to leave your body. Anyone who's ever been sick and throwing up understands just how much that can mess with your ability to function. So for pregnant women, that is intensely magnified because they need enough nutrients for at least two bodies. And that's not even counting if they're carrying multiples, for instance. So having a distinct lack of those electrolytes and those body fluids can be disastrous. For perspective on this and the way that it impacts the child in the womb, about 34% of those kids do not survive. This is because the mother is simply unable to keep enough nutrients in her body to adequately feed the child. It's not her fault. It's just a simple tragedy and these things happen sometimes. Now, the good news is that the majority of women who experience hyperemesis gravidarum can take a variety of safe and effective anti-nausea medications and they're not going to hurt the kid in the womb and they're not going to hurt the mom and it can absolutely result in a successful pregnancy and delivery in the overwhelming majority of cases. Now the mom is not going to feel all that great for the duration of the pregnancy but it is not a situation which which necessitates abortion and that's really key to understand. Then we get to a gestational diabetic pregnancy. Now, diabetes is a condition that causes high levels of glucose in your blood, and that matters because glucose is a sugar that is your body's main source of energy. So when diabetes starts during pregnancy, we call that gestational. Now, according to the CDC, gestational diabetes affects between 2 and 10% of women. Now, the weird thing here is that it doesn't necessarily have any obvious symptoms. You have excessive thirst, you have sweating, and you have frequent urination. It's sneaky, which is not so good at all. This also means that pregnant women should always be tested for it because there will not be those usual big red flags. Now, the main risks to the mom and the baby are early birth, difficulty, uh, difficulty delivering the child due to the baby's size. And this isn't because the kid's a preemie. It's actually the opposite problem. If a woman has gestational diabetes, there is a very high likelihood that her child will be much larger than normal, which could cause all kinds of issues like needing a cesarean section, for instance. So there's all that going on. And then in addition to that, another danger is low blood sugar and the possibility of development of type 2 diabetes in either the mom or the child. Now, the best way that a pregnant woman can help her baby to have a fighting chance is actually a lot simpler than the other solutions to the other types of abnormal pregnancies. She would need to do things like checking her blood sugar levels and eating the right things at the right time and being active and monitoring the baby. So the good news here is that while careful monitoring is absolutely important within the pregnancy, mother and baby can 100% come out the other side of the experience, both alive and healthy. Again, this is not a scenario where abortion is a necessity, not at all. Finally, we got the molar pregnancy. Now, this was this one really threw me for a loop because one, I hadn't been aware of it before I started doing research, and two, it's just a very, very odd scenarios. Let me break this down for you. It can also be called a hydatididiform mole. That's H-Y-D-A-T-I-D-I-F-O-R-M. So it's that 
mole. Now, according to the mayoclinic.org, molar pregnancies are characterized by, quote, the abnormal growth of trophoblasts, and that's the cells that normally develop into the placenta. Now, keep in mind that the placenta is how the baby in the womb gets both oxygen and nutrients. So the symptoms here include dark brown to bright red vaginal bleeding during the first trimester, severe nausea and vomiting, um, and then pelvic pressure or pain. So there are two types of molar pregnancies, right? There's the complete and then there's the partial. And the complete version, there's just a whole bunch of stuff going wrong all at the same time during the earliest phases of the child developing. You got a placental tissue that's being abnormal or swollen. You also have four, it forms these fluid filled cysts. And the biggest portion, there is zero formation of fetal tissue. What that translates to is that there's no actual child being formed in the womb. Now, in the partial version, so I just described the complete version, in a partial molar pregnancy, you have a pairing of both normal and abnormal placental tissue. And that becomes an issue because when you have that scenario, it's a non-viability thing. That, that, that cannot result in an actual child with actual unique DNA. It is not a possibility. So Healthline.com tells us that both types of molar pregnancies are incredibly rare. They only affect about 0.1% of pregnant women. Essentially, a molar pregnancy is always going to come to the natural end of a very early miscarriage. Once again, it's not the mom's fault, and it is definitely not something that necessitates an abortion. So now that we've analyzed the abnormal ways in which a pregnancy can get complicated, we're going to take a look at why they do not necessitate or excuse abortion. First and foremost, in all except the ectopic and the molar situations, the baby and the mom both have a really solid chance of being just fine as long as the mom receives proper medical care. And for those who are going to argue that, you know, not all moms have access to that, you're entirely correct. And that's an that's a different problem altogether. But if a mom receives the proper medical care, she and her child are going to be just fine. And so that 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 is something that you really need to keep in mind here. Now, I'm not going to lie and say that these pregnancies will be easy to go through because they won't. If this is you or if this is someone that you know, there will be challenges. Absolutely. There are going to be challenges and there's going to be difficulties. But that describes most things in life. Preeclampsic and hyperemetic and gestational diabetic pregnancies are going to be challenging. But mother and baby can both not just survive, but they can thrive. So to choose abortion in the face of them is simply taking the easy and I would say the cowardly way out rather than doing the responsible thing and parenting your child through a difficult phase. So just like you would not give up on your two-year-old or your infant if they were facing a medical crisis, you should feel the very same protective responsibility while they're in your womb. It is as simple as that. Now, for the really challenging spots. Ectopic pregnancies. I understand they are painful and difficult and tragic. There is, there is no simple or unpainful answer here. Your child is almost guaranteed to die, and you will most likely require surgery to remove him or her or them if you're carrying multiples. If that is your situation, my heart truly breaks for you. Please don't think that I'm coming at this from a place of I don't care about that. Of course I do. I'm a person with a heart, and that breaks my heart for you. But in that circumstance, it matters where your heart is at. 
So if your intent is to have the abortion rather than the surgery, you are choosing yourself over your child. You're choosing that which is easiest for you over that which is correct for your child. And that is wrong. But if the child is removed and treated humanely and with proper medical care until his or her or their natural death, then that is completely honorable. And an important thing to note is that I would recommend against the pill treatment. Because if you recall, I uh, earlier on in the episode, I spoke about the three treatments for an ectopic pregnancy. I would recommend against the pill. And here is why. It just, it's too close. The effects that it has on the female body and the way in which it stops the growth of the child within, it is too close to mimicking what an abortion, what an abortion pill does. But I would say that the other methods are as humane as the situation allows. So you can make your own judgment call on that. Then with molar pregnancies, you are looking at a non-viable pregnancy from the get-go. And it's going to end, like I said earlier, in a very early miscarriage. Now, I actually have an entire other episode about why miscarriage treatment is a different thing from abortion. I encourage you to go take a look at that or to go take a listen, I should say, after this. But the simple explanation is that in a miscarriage, you're not making the conscientious choice to end the life of your child. It is simply a tragedy that happens to you that you don't have any control over. In an abortion, you, as the mom, are taking an active step to ensure that your child does not survive. And not only that, but you are choosing to put him or her through an excruciatingly painful death. And for proof on that, check out my episode detailing the types of abortions and what they do, and also my episode titled Born Alive and Left to Die. Now, of major note are the distinct differences between an ectopic and a molar pregnancy. First, Molar pregnancies, they occur in the womb without the child's genetic code ever actually fully forming, and that is what causes the miscarriage. With ectopic pregnancy, however, the baby's genetic code is fully formed, but he or she is growing in a spot other than the womb. So molar pregnancies will always end in spontaneous miscarriage extremely early on. But unusual, uh, but sorry, but usually ectopic pregnancies will require some form of medical intervention. Both are tragic and heartbreaking, but for different reasons. So the overall point that I really want to make here is that when moms are faced with hard pregnancy scenarios, they're going to require extra care, and there there's going to be a lot of extra effort happening on the behalf of the mom and through the mom on behalf of the child. Mindset is going to be key. It is important to come at the solution from the following perspective. It's not about you. It's about your child. Your comfort does not matter. Your child's survival does. If your child cannot survive, then it is your job to make whatever time they spend in your womb or in the outside world as comfortable and as loved as possible. Because that is what a mother does. That is the primary job of mothering a new human while they are in the process of growing in your womb or once they have exited your womb and come into the outside world. That is your job as a mom and it is a sacred, beautiful responsibility. Now, one final note. Something I hear commonly when it comes to the ethics of choosing the life of the mother over the life of the baby is that she did not ask to be in the tough pregnancy situation. She did not ask to be part of the extraordinary slim minority of women who will be faced with that sort of decision. 
And since she did not ask for it, it is not right to force her to suffer. To which I point out a couple of things. First, you're correct in stating that she didn't ask for the difficulty, but you are incorrect in saying that because she didn't ask for it, that it gives her the moral right to do whatever she wants. Humans face hardships and tragedies all the time. We make difficult choices all the time. We face having to figure a constructive and healthy way out of bad decisions. Now, sometimes those situations are products of our own choices, and sometimes they are not. But the universal rule in civilized society is not, if you make all the right choices, you can avoid bad things happening. It is also not, bad things do not happen to good people. Rather, the universal rule is bad stuff is going to happen, and your character and your integrity will be judged based on how you handle it. Because you cannot control what happens to you, but you can absolutely control how you react to it. So a tough pregnancy scenario is no different. Will your solution be just kill the kid and get back to the regularly scheduled programming? Because if it is, and if you see zero issues with that, then you see children as things, not as humans. And especially not as humans within your care. Humans treat one another with dignity and kindness during difficult circumstances within a polite society. That is what having integrity means. The more helpless a person is, the more our response should be to help lift them up rather than causing them more pain and suffering. So so no, the mother didn't ask to be in the difficult pregnancy situation. And yes, she absolutely deserves kindness and sympathy and help and guidance and prayer. But so does the preborn child. Now, to go one step further, I would argue that a mother's greatest blessing is to be her child's biggest advocate against any adversity or enemy. And that advocacy begins the moment that she receives a positive pregnancy test. She has no clue what lies ahead within the pregnancy or even her child's life outside of the womb. She may very well be in for an extremely rough ride. But in that situation, the honorable thing to do is fight with everything she has to give her child the best possible chance. That is what motherhood is about. Yeah, it's scary. And yeah, it is the unknown. But equally true is that the reward is unfathomably larger than any fear or any question. And guess what, y'all? Running away from it or taking the easy way out is not going to detract from the reality of choices made. If you choose abortion for your child because it's going to be a difficult pregnancy, you don't just not have a kid in a difficult pregnancy anymore. You just chose to execute your child as the solution to the difficult pregnancy. And that is wrong. If you choose abortion, that is you saying that you care more about your own safety and comfort than you do about helping your child navigate a medical difficulty. And guess what, y'all? Whenever it's that same scenario, a child dealing with a medical difficulty and the parent making a decision for them, whenever it's that same scenario, but it is like once the child is born, and if the parent doesn't choose to be their child's best advocate, they are called, rightfully so, cowards. Cowards lacking bravery and lacking compassion. And society, any polite society at least, looks down on them. And that is the proper response. And I would say, ultimately... If the mother dies while fighting, while advocating for her child's safety and security in the womb, 
Her death was one of extraordinary courage and bravery, and that should be held in the highest regard. Additionally, if you're the one facing the decision, please, please hear the following words. And understand, I say them not out of judgment of you, but trying to help you see this from a different perspective that might illuminate you as to how important your child is in this scenario. If you choose to take the easy way out and have the abortion because the pregnancy gets complicated, not only have you failed at your primary job when it comes to your child, but that shame and that guilt that you are inevitably going to feel, those are the appropriate responses. You're going to feel them and you're going to not be too happy about feeling them. But the good news is that even if you took that shame and guilt-ridden path, our Savior is all about finding you where you are, picking you up, dusting you off, and putting you on the right path. There is forgiveness and there is grace and it is an incredible blessing. He can change everything if you just ask him to and just trust the results to him. As someone who's made my own fair share of mistakes, I promise you God is there and he wants to fix what you've broken. So if that is you, I urge you to think about it. And now, Switching gears, it is time for the book recommendation of the week. This is called Innocent Blood. It's by John Enser, and you spell his last name E-N-S-O-R. Now, this book is neat because even though it doesn't like specifically tackle uh, difficult pregnancy scenarios, it does tackle hard questions about the bioethics and blood guilt that surround the greater narrative of sentencing a child to death in the womb. It's really a fascinating read, and it'll, it'll offer some incredibly unique perspectives on the matter that maybe you hadn't thought about before. So again, it is called Innocent Blood. It's by John Enser, and you can find it in all of the usual spots. And finally, if you'd like to reach out to me personally for help or with questions or comments or concerns, or maybe you want to reach out and be like, you're a terrible human being and I hate you. All that's cool. I just would love to hear from you and I'd love to get your input. And uh, if that is you, you can find me on Facebook as Bex David. That's B-E-X like X-ray. Last name David like the biblical king. And I'm on everything else as proudly pro-life Gen Z woman. It's all one big old word smushed together. Hear me when I say I am here for you. Additionally, if you like this podcast, please don't forget to share it with someone else who you think might benefit from it. And of course, subscribe slash download the episodes. Now for next time, we're going to tackle the narrative that the Bible is pro-choice. Between then and now, or now and then I guess, I challenge you to live as though you are loved and cherished and precious simply because you are alive and our Savior did not create you by accident. So live as though your life has meaning and purpose. And I promise you that it will revolutionize your world in the best way possible. Until next time, let's continue to be pioneers in the space between the picket lines together. Thank you for tuning in and God bless.